Ladies and gentlemen of the Baha'i Blogcast universe, it's been a little while. Nice to speak to you all again, and look who's here. The man who started it all, Nason Naraki, my fearless producer, editor, champion, founder of Baha'i Blog. And uh, it's great to see you, Nason. Hey, Rain. It's good to see you. Thanks, everybody, for listening and tuning in, all 12 listeners. <laughs> all the 12 listeners all around the globe. Thanks for tuning in. And um, yeah, so we wanted to connect with you all. We're kind of bringing this chapter two of the Baha'i Blogcast to a close. Well, I don't want to say a close. We want to close this chapter and perhaps open another chapter. And we're still figuring out what that looks like. Um, why don't you tell the folks kind of what's going on a little bit, Nace? Sure. Yeah. You know, um, we've been, you know, consulting a lot with the National Assembly of the Baha'is of Australia, re-looking at, you know, uh, Baha'i blog and how it pertains to the world. And we're still kind of exploring what Australian content looks like and what, you know, mm -hmm. what that could mean. Um, so we're, we're still trying to figure it out. But I think right now... Uh, because I'm, for those who don't know... Uh, Baha'iblog.net and the Baha'i Blogcast was, has been kind of based in Australia, kind of run out of Australia. So these kind of conversations are ongoing country to country of, you know, what is it like to have grassroots media and how does, how does media and elevated conversations that are done through media, how do they, how does that interact with a local community? Exactly. You know, one one of the interesting things is that we, when we started Baha'i Blog, Kalis Taid, the guy uh, that was co-founder of Invado and who I was working for at the time and a very dear friend, I grew up with him in Papua New Guinea. And then when we started Baha'i Blog, after a few years, we would be able to find someone to kind of take the reins and then we could focus on other Baha'i-inspired content. Our aim and our passion really is to see how the Baha'i faith intersects with different forms of art and media. And that's kind mm -hmm. of been what we've been trying to do for all of these years. And um, 12 years later, we're still doing Baha'i blog and we hope to continue to do Baha'i blog. But a few years into Baha'i blog, we wrote a letter to the Universal House of Justice. I had spoken to one of the House members earlier and he had made it clear that, you know, sometimes the friends always send questions to the House of Justice, but maybe it's nice once in a while to hear about what people are up to. So mm. after we did about three years of Baha'i blog, we wrote to the Universal House of Justice, just basically sharing the things we've been doing and some of the statistics and things we've been learning, kind of like a little report. And we yeah. had a beautiful response of support and enthusiasm from the House of Justice with some food for thought as well. And one of the things they asked us to do was to work with the National Assembly of the country we reside in. And because me and Collis are based in Australia, we decided to work with the NSA. And it's been about a 10-year process of consultation and exploring how the faith intersects with media in the online space and other forms of spaces. So it's been a, it's been an exciting and interesting journey. Um, and we're still trying to figure it out. I was told that, you know, we're kind of in no man's land. This is a lot of this stuff has never been done. So we're at the kind of forefront of this type of thing, which has been exciting to be a part of that. And we're still trying to figure it all out. So yeah. Well, you guys, you have done an amazing job. Baha'i Blog is fantastic. I've been a big fan for so long. 
uh, the what's like, the music studio studio session. sessions of perhaps the most successful Baha'i video and music series uh, in history. So many of those videos have hundreds of thousands of views. They're shared all over the world. I've been to, you know, Baha'i events in in Ghana and in Ireland, and people are playing uh, songs from the studio sessions. That was such a successful endeavor, and. Um, and of course, we had our little run, 73 episodes yes. of the Baha'i Blogcast, a lot of scintillating and wonderful conversations. So you know, I travel quite a lot around the world, and two of the things I hear the most when I meet people and they find out that I'm connected to Baha'i Blog is number one, they love the studio sessions, but number two, they always go on and on about the Baha'i Blogcast. And well, that's I think very nice. these 72 episodes, you know, we started this six years ago, I think it's been such a beautiful gift that I'm glad is going to still exist online and that people can use and turn to. Some of the feedback we get from listeners is unbelievable. And one of the questions actually I do get when I travel is, is there really only 12 people listening to the podcast? <laughs> but I have to tell people, no, Rain's just joking. We actually have thousands of listeners and we have some beautiful, beautiful uh you know, comments and feedback and emails from listeners all over the world who have made it explicitly clear how much the podcast has accompanied them in their journey, in their personal lives, and even in community life. So I really want to, you know, say thank you, Rain, for being a part of this. And, you yeah. know, maybe I can also share quickly, you know, when I was sitting, I was visiting my mom in Canberra, Australia. This is like six years ago. And I was sitting at okay. my laptop and I wrote down like, a podcast about the Baha'i faith. We can have a different host. What do we do? And literally I get a text from you on WhatsApp saying, hey, we should start a podcast about the Baha'i faith interviewing individuals and let's call it Baha'i Blogcast. And I just remember telling you, <laughs> this is unbelievable. This, the, you know, synchronicity or the, you know, connection of the hearts and the yeah. minds was beautiful. And that began the beautiful Baha'i Blogcast, you know? Um, you know, the, that's great to hear and, um, obviously couldn't have done it without you. And, uh, we've made a great team and, um, I'm glad it's resonated with people and there's, uh, you know, these 72, 73 episodes we've done. My goal at the beginning was to do this podcast as a service to young people and especially the young Baha'is that might be struggling or looking for their way to talk to Baha'is who have uh, uh, an intersection of their faith and their work in a kind of positive, proactive, service-oriented way. Mm. So we've heard from, you know, Baha'i professors, Baha'i authors, uh, historians, entertainers, people in show business, musicians, uh, also people behind people who worked with nonprofits. Um, so we that, even you know, had a night of Baha'u'llah as well. Like that's, you know, historical. Yeah. Yeah. Sean Hinton. Yeah. So, you know, I'm hoping that if there's a, there's a young Baha'i in their twenties and they weren't sure which direction to go in life, that they could listen to a couple dozen of these and just get all kinds of ideas and, and inspiration of, you know, what is possible to kind mm -hmm. of live a life of service and a life of faith that also interacts with the outside world. So it's not just about doing service in your community for your assembly or your ATC or what have you, or your region, your cluster. It's about um, 
expanding that to um, really interact and intersect with the outside world. So the that has been very successful and fun. I've, I've benefited. I've had to have, I've gotten to have so many great uh, conversations with so many uh, fascinating folks over the years that have really, really inspired me. But I guess for me, the, the thing that I'll take away from the Baha'i Blogcast, and again, folks who are listening, we are going to figure out some way to try and continue this and have continue to have conversations with Baha'is. We're not sure where that looks like, where it would be hosted, but continue to keep your subscription here because we'll, it'll probably feed into this, uh, into your podcast subscription. But the, the thing that I, that really resonated with me is, um, for a lot of Baha'i pioneers, I heard from that this podcast connected them to the greater Baha'i world. You know, you have people that have been pioneering for 20, 30, 50 years, in some cases in Bolivia or the Congo or wherever, and that they're able to download these podcasts and listen to Baha'is all over the world and what they're up to. And it it made them feel part of a world community in a way. And I never really thought of it as a service to those lonely pioneers out, you know, uh, on the, yeah. on the borders of, uh, you know, fighting the good fight, uh, for the cause. Yeah. There was a native American, uh, gentleman who emailed us basically saying, you know, I live on a native American reservation. I've been here for a very long time and I'm a little bit isolated and thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the service. It really mm-hmm. brought them. They felt connected to the rest of the Baha'i world. And that was, that was near the early days of the Baha'i blogcast. And I really, I was so moved by that. And I remember thinking, yeah, this is, this is, this is good. This is helping people. And That's great to hear. And Nason, this is a new chapter for you as well. You're back in the United States and hoping to continue to work in media with a, a new endeavor. Do you want to tell us about it? That's right. Yeah. So, you know, Collis and I, um, have joined forces again. And basically, I've hand over the reins to Collis and Sanjel and a few of the friends that are helping with Baha'i Blog. And I've moved to the States to see if I can try and start a film company. There's a lot of uh, projects that I've wanted to do over the years. My background or strength is more in documentaries, so I'm hoping to start with that. But these are commercial documentaries that you know hopefully we can try and sell to Netflix and the like, but you know not Baha'i specific, but obviously I'm a Baha'i, so I'm going to be inspired by the teachings of the faith and the principles of the faith. So I I Mm. want to do meaningful content, you know. Uh, You've been up to a lot. I don't know how you are able to manage everything either. I'm always impressed with how many different things you've been juggling and you do other podcasts, you write books, you're acting all the time and you're always helping other people with their projects. And you've been up to some interesting stuff right now as well. I'd love to hear about what you've done. You've just written a new book. Yeah, and that's uh, really why I wanted to, you know, uh, dear listeners, Nason and I wanted to have this conversation to kind of kind of close the loop a little bit on the Baha'i blogcast, although it may continue in some way, shape, or form um, moving forward. But also, and say thank you to you, dear listeners, and kind of uh, reflect back on what we learned, what we saw. But also, I really wanted to let the Baha'i blogcast fans, all two dozen of you, know um, about this new book that I've written called Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution. I love it. There you have it. And this was kind of my COVID 
project, Nason, mm-hmm. and I started it about three and a half years ago. Um, I really worked hard on it. I kind of put into it everything I kind of know. Uh, it's funny, I gave a fireside the other day and I just was like, you know, I'm just gonna read from my book because I don't have anything else. Like everything, all of my thoughts about God and life and the meaning of life, consciousness, the soul, life after death, why we're here, social transformation, um, making ourselves better people, the purpose of religion, like all they're all in the book. It's so I don't have there's nothing else. If you were gonna ask me to speak on something else, I have I got zip. I've got nothing. It's it's all on these pages. So um, it's been really this has been a really difficult endeavor and uh, and and really exciting at the same time. And I can't wait for the world uh, to uh, to interact with this book. You know, you work on a book. Those of you who have written before know what I'm talking about. It's it's an incredibly private endeavor, and you're just kind of alone with your computer screen, and an hour after hour goes by, and then. Finally, people are getting to to read it and interact with it and respond, and that's um, I'm really really excited for that next well, chapter. I've started reading it, and I absolutely love it. And I feel like one, I don't know how you have the time to do all these things because, like you said, writing a book is is no you know small task. But also, I love how open and honest you are in all of your types of work, even on the podcast. That's one of the beautiful things I think about Baha'i Blogcast is there's always authentic conversation and I you know in your book you really you know you talk about a lot of things but you can see the sincerity coming through and you have a lot of really cool analogies as well which I know you you know you commented on in the book a little bit but um what so what was the for you personally what was the reason why did you feel this book was important for you to write well it goes back to a conversation I had about eight years ago with, of all people, David Langness Mm. from Baha'i Teachings. Mm. And I was thinking about writing some things. There was a a documentary I was trying to get going at the time called The Notorious G.O.D., and it was kind of a a humorous take on God and what God looked like in the modern world. Like, we all know that God isn't some old white man with a beard on a cloud looking down on us and judging who's naughty and who's nice. We all know that, and Baha'is certainly know that, and people of other faiths all know that as well. So what does God look like, and why are we not having this conversation? And uh, and that was going to be a documentary. It became a chapter in the book, and maybe someday it will become a documentary. I tried to pitch it all around town, and I'll never forget um, pitching it at Netflix, and then they said it was too controversial. Oh, <laughs> so, so they can have you can have shows on Netflix of like drunk housewives throwing garbage at each other. Yeah, that's fine. But a conversation about God is too controversial. So that's where we're at uh, Why, as a as a. That's that's something also that's fascinating to me because religion and spirituality animates so much of the world's population. You know, like, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's easy, especially in some of the Western countries I've experienced. There is, you know, people have turned away from religion or spirituality but overall the majority of the world's population still is animated by this other force of spirituality or whatever you want to call it and it seems like it's such a taboo topic and also kind of like frowned upon as well like even if you're not religious or spiritual if you want to have from a scientific point of view 
you want to look at what animates the world and solve the world's problems, you have to include religion and spirituality in the conversation because that is part of what is propelling the protagonists in, on earth. So why is there such a prejudice? I don't know about other countries, but in the United States, um, we are so divided and a lot of those, a lot of that division is along kind of party lines. And so the conversation about God is either a secular folk living in cities that have no interest in talking about God, uh, by and large, uh, uh, a majority. And because they're done with religion, they think that religion and spirituality, uh, conversely, have uh, negatively impacted the world and they want nothing to do with it. And they think it's the purview of kind of born-again evangelicals. And then you have the evangelical side of things that certainly wouldn't want to hear from a Baha'i about God. They have a very mm -hmm. specific view of like what, God looks like. I'll never forget one time I was doing an interview uh, around Soul Pancake, the uh, media company that I was a part of. Um, and I was on a radio show and we were, it was kind of a panel and we were talking about uh, God and uh, and I said something to the effect of like, well, Muslims believe in God and Baha'is believe in God and Christians believe in God. And this Christian said, no, that's not true. Mm. In In my uh, belief system. It's a triune God. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you don't believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then you're going to burn in hell, and that's not God. So, mm. now, obviously, that's a very small percentage of the population that literally think that way, but we have such a divided culture right now that it does get controversial. You've got this vociferous group and vocal group that doesn't want any conversations about it, and then you have another uh, equally uh, vocal group that um, uh, sees it in a very uh, through a very limited lens. But going back to the story, the I had this conversation with David Langness, and I was talking about different projects and just kind of running them by him. I said, "Hey, I want to pick your brain." I'll never forget. I was sitting in my car in a parking lot behind a pet Petco in uh, in the South Bay of Los Angeles, and he really said something to me that I thought really sparked my uh, interest in writing this book. And he said, you know what we really need, Rain? We need a Baha'i Malcolm Gladwell. Mm. And I thought, you know, to have elevated conversations about spirituality through a Baha'i lens, but for a mass audience, that's, it's, it's fun to read, it's accessible, it's funny, it's light, you can pick it up at the airport and you can read it when you're taking a poop. And, but still it's smart and has, you know, good, solid, salient ideas. And that really stuck with me, like, oh, behind Malcolm Gladwell. I'm a huge Malcolm Gladwell fan. I've read yeah, all of his too. books. And um, and I love the way he makes really interesting arguments kind of accessible to a large audience in, in a really flowing prose style. I don't claim to be as good a writer as Malcolm Gladwell, but that sparked what Soul Boom is. There are some key uh, points that I wanted to make about what a spiritual revolution might look like, all inspired by the Baha'i faith. The book is not to teach the Baha'i faith. The book is not doesn't have a secret agenda about making people Baha'is, but it's simply digging in to an elevated conversation about why we need spirituality mm. in the world. That's awesome, Rain. And why do you think, for example, Baha'is could benefit from reading this as well? Well, I think... For the last, you know, 
10 years, certainly maybe 15, uh, the Universal House of Justice has repeatedly exhorted us to engage in elevated conversations mm. about deep topics, about spiritual topics. And my understanding of this from the letters is not to convert people into the Baha'i faith. You don't have a meaningful conversation about, I don't know, free will or the soul or climate change or something like that in order to slip in a Baha'i quote and have them say, oh, what is that? And then bring them to a fireside and get them to sign their Baha'i card. That's not the point. Mm. But humanity is very lost right now and rudderless, and we're not having spiritual conversations, especially young people. So I believe that having elevated conversations about important topics with a kind of a spiritual juiciness to them is just, it's crucial. It, it helps the world. It helps you find like-minded people and helps you build community and get to know people better and to remind folks that we are spiritual beings having a human experience and that there are spiritual tools that can make ourselves better and can make the world better. And these conversations are crucial. So for, you know, my pitch on why, like why Baha'is could or should read this book, I think um, what I try to do is t cover a variety of topics. Like I said, I have a chapter on the soul and life after death, consciousness, a chapter on God. Um, I have a chapter called death and how to live it. Um, and, uh, and then I finally, and I get into like the purpose of religion, like why there is religion and, uh, kind of rethinking what religion could be. Mm. And I think for Baha'is that are interested in having, you know, uplifting, elevated spiritual conversations, this will be thought provoking and mm. would be a great stocking stuffer for your for your friend or neighbor that you like to engage with on these topics to just keep the conversation going. I think as Baha'is as well, and maybe just in the wider community, a lot of people kind of look at spirituality and, and often religion as well, but as a very personal individualistic thing as well. But you, in your book as well, you talk about these systems and society and the social aspects needed to create a, a revolution or a change in the world. And I think that's something that a lot of us kind of, you know, we, we look at change of these big kind of picture issues like the environment or other aspects of society, but we don't look at like, how can spirituality or religion actually be a, a animating part of helping to create that change? And maybe that's also because, you know, there is this kind of, you know, separation a little bit of religion from the equation. Yeah. I, and I, 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 I thank you for bringing that up because I think it's a really important thing for folks to understand, which is that in the secular West, anyone who engages in spirituality, quote unquote spirituality, it's usually for some kind of self-help purpose. Mm. It's usually, not all the time, usually to increase serenity and mm. decrease anxiety. So this is a personal spiritual journey they find at a yoga class or on an Instagram feed or a meditation practice, uh, certain you know podcasters or authors like Eckhart Tolle and people like that that have wonderful spiritual teachings that help uh, ground you and make your life better. And there's nothing wrong with that. After centuries of 
kind of religious trauma that humanity has undergone from, especially from uh, Christianity and Islam, wars and, and millions and millions killed in God's name, um, the people seeking spirituality and understanding that there is a power there and there are tools there to make their lives better is crucial. But what, what I say in the book is we've kind of thrown the spiritual baby out with the religious bathwater. No, mm. we've thrown the religious baby out with the spiritual bathwater. No, maybe it's it's vice versa. I can't I can't remember which I said. One of those two. But you get the idea that because people have rebelled so much against religion, they have thrown spirituality out. And I speak in the book about these two spiritual paths. And to make it kind of relevant and fun. I talk about two 70s television shows. I talk about uh, Kung Fu and Star Trek, my favorite shows from the 70s. So Kung Fu is kind of a, a model of the personal spiritual path. That's a, you know, Kwai Chang Kane, for those of you who don't know, um, he's a Shaolin monk from China, and he's He's kicked out of his monastery. He comes to the Old West, and he's looking for his brother. He's on this mission, and he fights a lot of racist cowboys along the way. And he brings his Eastern wisdom to bear on his interactions with people. And I use this as a metaphor for kind of the personal spiritual path. And I talk about, the, very specifically, from a Baha'i perspective, the twofold moral path that we learn about in, in Book 5. And this is the personal path. This is making ourselves better people, growing our spiritual virtues, you know, using our our reliance in 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 God, find increasing our love, uh, and navigating the difficulties of being a human being in the modern age. So that's Kung Fu. And then I talk about Star Trek because I think Star Trek is very much in alignment with the Baha'i faith. Mm. In Star Trek, yes, it's technologically based. But when you look at the mythology of Star Trek, there has been a horrible conflagration on planet Earth. There's been a World War III, and coming out of the ashes of that, humanity has solved its problems. Racism doesn't exist anymore. There's no income inequality. Uh, women and men are equal. Uh, there are so many different social issues that have been solved by humanity so that humanity is then able to travel the stars and seek out new life and new civilizations and and whatnot. And so that's the second half of the book I really try and turn into like, let's not forget the idea that spirituality and religion can affect social and societal transformation. Mm -hmm. And it's really important for people to not forget that because that is not foremost on people's minds. Mm. What is foremost on people's minds nowadays? What do you think it is? Because I, I, you know, we were just talking earlier about like, I find this weird kind of juxtaposition or my experience with a lot of people, both young and old, but especially young, is that they're, they seem very concerned and aware of issues in the world, like racism, like the environment and things. But then there's this kind of looming apathy that I feel in in their demeanor, at least, or, you know, like, or even in, I don't, I don't know, I don't feel like there's this kind of sense of urgent change or revolution. And I don't know if that's just my experience or, but I have been traveling quite a lot and I have met a lot of people that, uh, talk the talk about being concerned, but it kind of stops there. Has that been your experience at all, Rain, or do you have any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I have a, I have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, and you, you're you're a hundred percent right. I think first and foremost, this veil of apathy comes from materialism, mm. and if folks think that the meaning of life is to seek comfort and uh, and accrue stuff, that can make you very apathetic. And you can recognize that there's injustice in the world, but essentially you're just trying to like make some extra money so you can have some nicer stuff and live a more comfortable life. So, and there's countless quotes in the Baha'i faith about um, the veil that materialism creates between man and his soul. Mm. Number two, we're in the midst of one of the worst epidemics in human history. And I'm not talking about COVID. I'm talking about the mental health epidemic with mm. young people. And, one of the symptoms of this mental health epidemic, and for those, you know, I've spoken about it a lot on this podcast, but it's something I highly encourage all my Baha'i brother and, brothers and sisters to investigate. Um, suicidal ideation, depression, anxiety, loneliness, alienation are through the roof in every measurable statistical category. And it is um, hurting young people on levels we can't even imagine that suicide is now the number one cause of death for people under 25. It's, um, it's brutal. I could go on and on about the mental health epidemic, but part of the mental health epidemic is a symptom of apathy where you feel like you can't make a difference. Hmm. That's what's so beautiful about the junior youth spiritual empowerment program. And that series of books is training young people 11 to 15. Like you can make a difference. You have, you are noble beings, you are powerful beings, and you can affect change in your community. So the, you know, part of it goes with climate change, right? One of the biggest issues around climate change is climate anxiety. People are, are afraid and pessimistic about the future. And so when we have elevated conversations about spiritual topics, one of the things that we are offering people is hope to say that, hey, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. You know, the end of your physical life is not the end of your experience of being a, a, a child of God. You have infinite worlds of experience awaiting us and our, and our consciousness, um, whatever that might look like um, after this physical life is done. And, and the other one is that there are spiritual tools that we can use to affect change and transformation in the world. And that is hope. That is a tool of hope that we can give young people to combat this apathy that you're talking about. Mm. Yeah, that's great, Rain. So I guess, I mean, this kind of leads onto one of my questions as well. Is like, so what do you hope people will walk away with once they've read your book, for example? Well, I just want to provoke conversation. I just want to provoke discussion um, about spiritual topics. I have um, a chapter about going on Baha'i pilgrimage um, mm. and about looking for the sacred and how is it that I experienced sacredness and holiness on this trip and then I come back home and I find so little that is sacred or holy. Mm. Um, in my life, in my daily life, in my house, in, in my daily interactions. So that's just 
I don't come to in that chapter. I don't end that chapter with any answers. Mm. It's just, again, to provoke a conversation about sacredness. So, which I think is an important conversation for folks to have. But ultimately, the last couple of chapters is when I let, really let it rip. And apologies to uh, Michael Carlberg. I was uh, very influenced by his book, Beyond the Culture of Contest, and many other Baha'i authors that have kind of worked in this field about what does grassroots social change really look like. Mm. And humanity right now is in an age of Band-Aids. You know, yeah. we, oh, there's racism. Let's pass another law that, you know, ends police systematic racism, you know, guess what? That doesn't fix it. You know, oh, there's sexism. Let's make sure that all boards, you know, corporate boards have 40%, you know, women on them. That's mm -hmm. not going to fix it, right? Uh, income inequality, uh, let's raise taxes on the rich and create some more social programs in the inner city. Mm. That's not going to fix it. Now, the, all of those legislative answers might be important, and I'm not saying we don't do them, but they're not an end in and of themselves. Yeah. Um, it's a much, as we know, as Baha'is, it's a much deeper and more profound uh, transformation that we're talking about. So I, one of the final chapters here, and it's funny, it's, it's called, Hey Kids, Let's Build the Perfect Religion. Mm -hmm. And uh, in it, I, you know, there's a lot of Baha'i ideas, but there's some others as well, where I talk about... Um, what works about religion? Let's look at what works. Mm -hmm. You know, it has, it centers service, it centers justice, it gives us practical spiritual tools, it has an emphasis on music and the arts, uh, humility is important. I talk about potlucks. Um, <laughs> it goes on and on. And and then I, I end the book with the seven pillars of a spiritual revolution. So I, I really wanted there to be a takeaway for folks to say, Here's some positive, proactive steps we can take um, to try and affect change. Right, and that's awesome. Yeah, I, I can't wait to finish the book. I've loved reading it so far, and I really commend you on you know this kind of contribution to the world. The fact that you are constantly trying to put these things forward and giving us food for thought as well. Like I can tell in the book, you're not trying to tell people what to think, but these are very personal reflections uh, of your kind of experiences and your thoughts. And I, I personally really appreciate that. And I really have loved uh, so far what I've read. So thanks, Rain. And thanks, I'm, man. I'm excited about what we might get up to in the future as well. But I know like even, you know, editing the podcast, uh, I was always, um, it, spend, it takes quite a bit of time editing them, but I would often find myself during the edit, like just getting carried away with the conversation and listening to some of the points that, you know, so many of our wonderful guests had. One of the things that came to mind, um, I guess, while we were speaking uh, about like the state of the world and the individual, you know, in one of the interviews, this has always stuck with me. We interviewed or you interviewed Michael Penn, the beautiful, mm -hmm. wonderful Michael Penn, a gentleman who I absolutely adore. And in mm -hmm. it, he, he said that human beings are the most powerful receptors. And, you know, he's talking about like how sensitive we are to everything around us. And it was in conjunction with trauma, but also in mm -hmm. conjunction with like, you know, both positive and negative experiences and, and forces. And, you know, some of the things you're saying about like the youth or 
where we're at, like the mental health crisis, you know, that really resonates. I feel I feel like we are really uh, powerful human receptors. And it's it's so true. And, uh, you know, I've been saying this a lot, but it's one of the things the book has allowed me in the and I'm getting ready to go on this kind of massive book tour with readings and interviews and lots of podcasts and and talk shows and whatnot to promote it is it's my favorite thing in the world is to just talk about how we're spiritual beings you mm. know i don't know a whole lot in this world but this one thing i know that we're spiritual beings and we're just happen to be in our meat suits for 80 or 90 or 100 years if we're lucky and then we continue our journey and as long as we can remind people about that then we can allow them to be incredible receptors because mm -hmm. that's when that's I, I've seen it happen, especially with young people. That's when their eyes open and brighten and their hearts open and lighten is when they're reminded that they're precious spiritual beings, that they're that they have in them the divine spark. You know, God is in every heart and that uh, that opens up conversations and allows people to be even greater receptors in my mm. mind. I feel that too. And, I, and it also means that we also have to be so uh, aware of the impact we can have on others as well. And that's something I also, you know, th as this being our last podcast, I wanted to say, Rain, one of the things I've admired so much about you over the years is how much you're willing to help people um, in all, you know, I think when we first met, we were at a summer school in Texas and I think we were washing the dishes together maybe or something. And I was, I've just always been impressed with how willing you are to roll up your sleeves and be there for everyone and help so many different people, uh, follow their dreams. And you've had all right, me all right. in so That's, many ways, but okay. honestly, Rain, I, all right. That's I'm enough. Excited That's about, enough of that. <laughs> but I'm excited about, you know. Uh, this book and the future of potential projects that you're going to be working on and maybe some collaborate more collaboration between us. I've loved working with you over the years. And um, well, you've yeah. you know, I don't think you want to share them here, probably, but you've run some ideas for some of your documentary uh, projects by me. And they're really exciting, Nason. And I awesome. really wish you and call us the, the very best on moving those forward. And, you know, it's. Uh, it's interesting because, you know, we all do what we can, right? So I happen to be an actor and I happen to luck out and get on The Office, which made me a TV celebrity. So that's opened a lot of doors for me. And so I get to kind of, I get to do this. Um, and it doesn't matter who you are. You can be an accountant somewhere or a, or a dentist or a, a school secretary, or it doesn't matter what role you play. We all have... Um, we all have our opportunities, our window of opportunities to, to, to serve the faith and serve our communities and, and to help affect this kind of spiritual transformation. So another thing I, I'm, I'm, I've gotten to do, I'm getting to do is, is next month, a, a, a travel show that I hosted is coming out called the geography of bliss, where I travel the world looking for happiness. So Again, uh, the universe seems to be taking me in this direction where I, I'm able to kind of leverage um, my life as an actor to uh, to just spread not only the teachings of Baha'u'llah, but kind of the, 
the Baha'i vibration. But I mm. and I and I just wanted to I just wanted to say this too, um, going back to your your question about apathy. You know, mm. the Universal House of Justice referenced uh, hope as a depleted resource, mm. and um, and it is a, the most precious resource. And I think it's something that Baha'is have to hang on to. We live in a cynical, pessimistic, depressed, apathetic society for the most part, and whatever we can do to keep hope alive, I think is absolutely crucial. And mm. this this goes down to all of the work the Baha'is are doing in the trenches. You know, every children's class, every song you sing in a children's class, every junior youth book you're doing, every mm. youth group, every service work you're doing, every devotional gathering you're, you're bringing people together, every home visit, all of those kind of building blocks of grassroots community building, um, it's so important to to foster hope. It is mm. a depleted resource. And um, we've got to keep hope alive, Nason. Yes, I hope you definitely. can do that as well in, in your uh, your forthcoming work. Thank you, Rain. I can't wait. And I want to and I want to say yeah. too, I want to thank you too, like for the folks who don't know, he's edited every one of these episodes, spent mm. hours and hours with a fine tooth comb yeah. <laughs> going through the and and running a Baha'i blog. Um, it's, it's such a great um, it's been such a great resource that's been used by tens, hundreds of thousands, millions of Baha'is around the globe. And uh, you've- uh, Thank you, Rain. You've provided so much hope and beautiful enough art and music. And yeah, see, now, no, right. Enough, enough. Yeah. right. Right, right, right. <laughs> no, um, but, but no, yeah. but thank you for that as well. And I, and I do hope that our paths continue uh, in some kind of collaboration uh, moving forward. Thanks, Rain. I appreciate that. You know, maybe one last thing. Um, I don't know if you're up for it, but, you know, one of the things you often ask guests on the podcast is, do they have a favorite quote or something that they've been reading lately from the Baha'i writings that's resonating with them? Um, is there something that has been resonating with you lately or that you've read lately or that you just love in general from the Baha'i writings that you, you can share? Yeah, you know, one of sorry to reference the book again um but like i said it's kind of it's been your life know. totally yeah. <laughs> the when i i wanted to finally kind of sum up everything and i was like where do i go you know how do i how do i land this crazy hodgepodge of a of a book and i went to this abdul baha quote that is very mystical and uh, I say in the book, I say, this is about really the illusion of separateness, which is a, a key point from the Vedantas. This is from the Dhammapada. It's from Hinduism. Um, Picture yourself walking on a beach, I say, watching the waves. You notice each wave crash to shore and dissolve into foam. You see new waves form and ride forward toward the sand. You observe the distinct curve and beauty of each individual crest and fall. Then something subtly shifts in your outlook. You notice that what you are actually taking in is the ocean itself. Your entire perspective slides and expands as you begin to consider the totality of the ocean, its depth and breadth, mysteries, currents and storms, its awesome beauty and its life-providing bounty, the fish that swim in it, the moisture that rises from it to form the clouds above you. You realize that you yourself are like a single wave on a much larger sea. 
And like a wave on the ocean, you are one small part of a much grander, more mysterious, powerful, and beautiful totality. And then I quote Abdu'l-Bahá, Your souls are as waves on the sea of the spirit. Although each individual is a distinct wave, the ocean is one. All are united in God. We must not consider the separate waves alone, but the entire sea. We should rise from the individual to the whole. And then I say, as we rise from the individual to the whole, our fate can ultimately be a hopeful one. And that's what I've been thinking about a lot recently is this illusion of separateness, um, that we're individuals with our own individual worries and journeys, but we are all, you know, like you, you, you sing in Sunday morning Baha'i children's class, we are waves of one ocean, we are leaves of one tree, but there is a, there's a mystical unity behind that, that uh, we need to nudge humanity toward um, to truly transform. Mm. That's beautiful. What about man. you? What about you, Nason? Um, What's on your mind? Well, I mean, I've got, because I'm working on this, you know, uh, film company and I've been really thinking so much about, you know, I, I, when you've got limited hours in a day, limited days in a week, you want to make sure that the efforts you put in are meaningful and can actually help others. And that this quote has been, you know, kind of my mantra lately. It's basically all effort and exertion put forth by man from the fullness of his heart is worship. If it is prompted by the highest motives and the will to do service to humanity. And I feel like, you know, it's about having that, you know, if you sincerely want to help others, uh, mm. it's a form of worship. Um, even if you don't accomplish it, the sincere mm. act of trying and basically putting all effort towards that. And I've been really trying to make sure that uh, the ideas I've got with these documentaries and all the effort I'm putting in is aligned with trying to help others in some way, shape or form. So that's beautiful. I think yours was, was beautiful. No, that's, that was really nice. That was, that was really cool. Well, Nason, this, uh, chapter is done, but there will be a new chapter with lots of interviews with great Baha'is, uh, forward and, uh, and whatever yes. new iteration, that, that is, but um, 73 episodes of Baha'i Blogcast has been a hoot, um, 73 incredible conversations, and uh, dear dozens of listeners, thanks for tuning in <laughs> to this episode and uh, letting uh, Nason and I bring it around full circle. Yes, full circle. It's been a pleasure indeed. Nason, thanks for everything. Thanks, thanks for, Rain, for everything. Thanks for who you are. Thank you. Can't wait to uh, see what our next chapter entails. And thank you, everyone, for all your support and listening. And thanks to everyone over the years who's helped out with Baha'i Blog as well and sent your feedback and your comments. And, you know, mm -hmm. feel free. Don't stop listening. Feel free to send us your, your thoughts about different episodes as well. And, yeah, really appreciate the journey. Wonderful. Wonderful. So long, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Baha'i Blogcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode and the conversation. Check out more fun Baha'i stuff on Baha'iblog.net. Thank you so much, and good night. <laughs>